No, no, no. Nap time's just beginning. Um, y'all just go on and, and do church without me today. I, I just think I'll uh, rest and relax because it is the Lord's Day and, uh, you know, this is my Sabbath day. Actually, you know, most preachers, folks think they just work a couple hours a week anyway, so what does it matter if I just take a couple more hours? Just, just relax. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, today... We're going to be looking at typical Christians in the United States. There are about, um, I was looking online, and if you go by census information, there are about almost 300 million people in the United States, and about 60% of them claim to be followers of Christ. So that, that means there'd be about 180 million Christ followers in the United States. And if that is true, this is your typical Christ follower. Because when asked, do you attend church regularly? Nope. Do you serve? Nope. Do you give? Oh, please. If I'm not going and I'm not serving, I'm not giving money. The typical Christian, or claim to be, self-proclaimed. That's a big word on the internet. Self-proclaimed Christian. It's used in... Well, I guess there's not a good way to do that. Um, a lot of people are, are attacking Christians because they say we're, we're two-faced. They say that we're hypocrites. And if you look at our lifestyle and you look at the one we claim to follow, it is no wonder they call us hypocrites because we are. Now, let me just back up and say, this is a church for hypocrites. Okay? Because this is where you need to be because we're it. Um. A lot of people say they don't go to church because that's where a bunch of hypocrites are. Yes, we are. We don't mean to be, but we are all the time. And what we're going to do over the next four weeks, and my prayer is that you're going to be here for four weeks, because we're going to dare you to move. Now, we're not going, we're not going to um, dare you and make you feel guilty, you know, like, like what we talked about, some of the, some of the dumb dares, because... All of the stupid stuff, almost all the stupid stuff I've done in my life came as a result of a dare. Like when I stole street signs, that was a dare, and I got arrested for that. Um, like when I broke into my high school just to show that I could, that was as a result of a dare. First time I drank alcohol, that was a result of a dare. And, uh, and I hated it, and I remember drinking a beer and shoving pretzels in my mouth because the taste was like urine and... Um, but I couldn't let the guys know that I was not tough enough to drink a beer, so I'd take a swig and I'd... All the result of a dare. First time I smoked a cigarette, it was a dare. Almost all the stupid stuff I did in my life was a result of a dare. And I want you to watch this video clip, and uh, I want you to see if maybe you've done some really dumb things in your life as the result of a dare. Change and nuance of phrase in this ritual is very important. Huh, are you kidding? Stick my tongue to that stupid Paulette's dumb. That's because you know it'll stick. You're full of it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like double dog, dare you? Now it was serious. A 
double dog dare. What else was left but a triple dare you? And finally, the coup de grace of all dares, the sinister triple dog dare. I triple dog dare you! Hmm. Schwartz created a slight breach of etiquette by skipping the triple dare and going right for the throat. All right, all right. Flick's spine stiffened, his lips curled in a defiant sneer. There was no going back now. This is nuts. Now, I don't know if you were as dumb as I was, but um, one of the dumbest things I ever did was jump off a, about a 10-foot rock into... I grew up in the panhandle of Texas, where it, there's actually a winter season. Sometimes here, winter's a couple of days, maybe a little, little bit longer, but we had snow and, and all that stuff. And, and one year is, is around March, um, we went out to the lake just because we didn't have anything better to do. And my buddy says, I dare you to jump into the lake. And uh, I said, well, I'll do it if you do it. Sucker jumps off. I mean, just as soon as I finish the words, he jumps off and, and goes in the lake. Surface temperature was 48 degrees. And I had, I had always struggled because a lot of people up in, you know, northern places, when they fall into water, people drown. And I, I never understood how you could drown if you knew how to swim. No sooner had my feet touched that 48-degree water than every muscle in my body locked up and I couldn't breathe. <laughs> And I almost didn't make it back to shore. And uh, how tragic would that have been to give my life for a dare? But I tell you this, I did learn. I mean, I may be stupid, but I usually learn from my mistakes. And no, no amount of triple dog daring ever got me into 48-degree water since then. But, you know, it was because I didn't want to be chicken. And, and what I proved was not that I had manly honor or that I was smart. I proved I was stupid. Because I was influenced by, um, by this group mentality. Now, what you saw in the video was group mentality. And this, se this series that we're in has nothing to do with uh, pressuring you into some group mentality of doing something stupid. Instead, we're going to try to give you uh, a foundation for making decisions. And I want you to watch another movie clip. And this one's completely different in how this guy had to demonstrate faith. But his faith wasn't based on this group mentality. It was based on clues that he'd been given. And I want you to watch what happens.
And you must hurry. Come quickly. Now, was the pathway there all along? But he couldn't see it from his perspective. He had to step based on the clues of the one who designed all of these tests in the first place. If he trusted those clues, then he was able to get, in this case, the the Holy Grail, and he was able to save his father and all that garbage that isn't true. But anyway, you understand. He had to take the step from where he was standing. He couldn't see that there was a way. But the one who had prepared the way knew it was there. All he had to do was have faith and take a step. Now, I want you to understand that faith is not ignorant of the circumstances. A lot of people will say that, oh, well, those Christians, they have blind faith. No, that's not true. When, when I exercise faith in my Heavenly Father, I am well aware that there's not enough money in the bank. If I'm, Janie and I have written, she was talking to somebody a few weeks ago, and they said, what do we do? Do we tithe or do we not? And she said, we have written the hot check to God, knowing that, that the, there was not enough in the, in the checking account, and on Monday, we have gotten money to put back in there, either through the mail, or one time it was people turning around and handing us a $500 check, and we were just like, no way. We had faith in God. Um, So, faith is not ignorant of the circumstances. Faith is very aware of the circumstances, but believing that the God who created us is bigger than the circumstances. And when you put your faith in Him... And see, because that's the whole thing. It's what you put your faith in. If you're putting your faith in yourself, no offense, but I I need a God a little bigger than you. I need a God a little more powerful than you and you need one more powerful than me does that make sense we need a god who is all powerful and when we put our faith in him he always comes through now we're going to be looking at taking steps of faith and we are going to dare you to move from where you are but like i said earlier we're not going to use guilt guilt is never a motivation in scripture i dare you to look that up You will not find God saying, Oh, well, you never come see me anymore. I haven't seen the grandkids in six years. I won't even know what they look... God doesn't do that. Now, conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's totally different. 
All I'm going to do is I'm going to present to you God's Word and the way God tells us to live our lives. And if God convicts you, blame Him, don't blame me. I'm the messenger. I'm reporting what He's told me to report. You can look it up in your Bibles, and in fact, I hope you will. I hope you'll bring your Bibles. And if you want to go ahead and get a head start for today, we're going to be in James chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there. When we get in our new building, by the way, we are in the process of purchasing a building the old skating rink, and we're going to have to do all kinds of renovations to it to get in. We're hoping that by Thanksgiving, maybe the first Sunday in December, we'll be in there and it'll be our new church. Um, one of the things that we're going to have there is we're going to have some, some Bibles that, that we can hand out to folks that don't have Bibles. That way all I have to do is say, turn to page, because our church was built for people who don't have church background. A lot of times people don't know where James is. Well, it's in the New Testament. Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Go back towards the back. If you go to Revelation and hang a left, you'll get there in just a few books. Um, so we're, we're going to try to make it just as easy as possible for people to follow along in God's Word and see what God has to say about your life. So when we show you what God wants you to do with your life, it'll, you'll have a choice to make. You'll, you'll have to decide, am I going to believe in myself or do I need a God bigger than me? Am I going to believe in my friends and my family? Or do I need a God that's bigger than them? Now, if they're, if they're Christians and they're seeking God and they're giving you godly counsel, that's one thing. But, but generally, we listen to people who aren't talking to God. <laughs> and it's no wonder we make a series of messed up decisions because we're putting our faith in the wrong things. Or will you choose to follow God and say, I will take a step closer to my Heavenly Father? And we're going to challenge you over these next few weeks. Because if we're going to get into this new building, we're going to have to have some help. We've got a lot of renovation to do. We're going to need folks to step up. And we're going to have to pray that God does a whole lot of stuff through us so that He gets the glory. What He's done already is incredible. I just, I just got to tell you, and, and, and as we get closer today, I'll share more stuff about what God has done um, but what we're going to do today is we're going to start off with defining faith. And we're going to look at James chapter 2 and we're going to find five principles about faith that you and I need to know if we're going to get out of our comfort zone. We talked about this in the, in the Just Walk Across the Room series, that we're in a comfort zone. Well, we're in a comfort zone in a lot of areas and we're going to dare you to move one step closer to God in these areas. Well, if we're going to dare you, then, then you've got to understand what faith is. So in James chapter 2, let's, let's take off. Number one on your listening guide is real faith is not just something you say. Not just something you say. James chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 14. Dear brothers and sisters, what's the use of saying you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? That kind of faith can't save anyone. Now, it's real important that you understand, brothers and sisters here, James is writing to believers in Christ, Christians. That's what brothers and sisters are, are called in Scripture. He's writing to Christians. And now, this, this uh, doesn't say the guy actually has faith. He's saying he just claims to have it. So, if actions demonstrate what we really believe, are the 180, people, 180 million people in America who claim to be Christians, are they Christians if actions show what you really believe? That's a yes or no question. No. Okay. Jesus said in Matthew 7.21, Not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. What is the decisive issue? Obedience to God. 
Now, this is a big deal because a lot of people try to get the blessing of God while disobeying God. Did you catch that? Never expect the blessing of God when you disobey God. Blessing always comes after obedience. Blessing never comes after disobedience. That is not the way God works. God says, obey me. Step out. There's a great story in the Old Testament where the Israelites were about to go into the promised land. And, and God had already parted the Red Sea back when, when they were coming out of Egypt. There, Moses just had to stand up and, and raise his rod and, and the Red Sea parts and they walk across the dry land. They turn around and the Egyptians are killed. Well, the next time, though, God made it just a little bit more difficult because when they were going into the promised land, the Jordan River is at flood stage. He gets the priests, the religious leaders, and he says, get the Ark of the Covenant, go and step in the river. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not real keen on stepping in a flooded river. God says, once you step foot in the river, I will dry it up. God, can we go back to the raising the stick? Because that would be a whole lot easier. I'd like to see the dry ground before I step out there. It was when they put their foot, step foot in the river, that it dried up 15 miles away. I, just, I would like to have been there because I'd like to have seen the farmers that didn't know about God. River's flooded. You turn around and feed some sheep, turn back around. It's dry. I've never seen that. <laughs> I would like to see that. Maybe there'll be DVR in heaven. Um, not everybody with a Christian bumper sticker is a believer. Not everybody who is a professor of Christianity is a possessor of Christianity. It takes more than just words. Anybody know who Larry Flint is? Was. Is he still around? I don't even know if he's still around. He's the one who publishes Hustler magazine. About 20 years ago, he claimed to be a Christian. Claimed he'd found Christ. But there was no change in his lifestyle. He continued to print pornography. Now, it is not my place to judge whether he came to Christ or not. But the Bible does say that you will know them by the fruit, by the works that they do in their lives. If there's no change in that life, then I would question whether they've actually met God. Can that type of faith save you if, if it doesn't change you? Not according to James. All right, second thing, real faith is not just something you feel. A lot of people confuse emotions and sentiment with faith. If I feel it, I didn't get anything out of service today. I didn't feel anything. I don't always feel like being here. I don't always feel like preaching. Does that have anything to do with whether I show up? No, I'm not going to tell you if I don't feel like it either. <laughs> I'm going to try to fake you out. Um, you can be emotionally moved. You can get this quiver in your liver and think that you've been near to God. And it may have been something you ate. Feelings have nothing to do with whether you've worshipped or not because worship is not about you. Worship is about God declaring His worth. And maybe the reason that you don't get something out of services sometimes is because you went looking for what you could get out of it and not what you could give to God. Because when I get caught up in, in telling God, oh, I'm so grateful because you have saved me from my sin, all of a sudden I see what He's done, I see what Jesus did on the cross, and it changes me because I've worshipped. You see the difference? It has nothing to do with feelings. It has to do with obedience. God blesses those who obey. And God blesses those who worship 
in spite of how they feel. Real faith is not just feelings. James gives us an illustration in, in verse 15. Suppose you see a brother or sister who needs food or clothing and you say, well, goodbye and God bless you. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does it do? Years ago, there was a Peanuts cartoon where um, Charlie Brown and Linus are inside. It's cold. They're all bundled up and warm. And Snoopy is sitting out by his doghouse uh, next to an empty bowl, shivering and hungry. And Linus and, and uh, Charlie Brown have this debate. We really should do something. Poor Snoopy. Let's, let's do something. So they bundle up, walk out to Snoopy, and they say, Snoopy! Be of good cheer. And they turn around and walk off. You know where Charles Schultz got that? From this verse. What good does it do to say to someone, I hope you're warm tonight, as they're laying down in their cardboard box? He's saying, uh, it's more than just I feel for you. You know, if you walk out today and you smash eight fingers in your, in your car door, and I walk up and say, I feel for you, brother. Does that make you feel any better? If you had a good hand, you might smack me. Shut up! Get my hand out of the door! I mean, do something about it. Don't just walk up and say, I feel for you. That, that doesn't work. Um, it's more than feelings. Real faith is more than just sympathy and feeling and emotion. You do something about it. A real believer has real faith and that real faith is real practical. Uh, the reason we even went out to Walmart last week was to do something practical. Our, our shirts say, don't just go to church, be the church. It was a blast. I had so much fun at Walmart last week. The people looking at us like we're completely nuts because we're giving stuff free. I don't know how many people pulled out their wallets it says free. We got a big old cardboard thing and wrote free on it and they're coming up and free. F-R-E-E. -E, free. But nobody expects free stuff. Free means donation, right? No. Free means free. And one lady said, I, those of you who got the email, I cannot get that back in my pocket. It's not that much money, so don't worry about it. Um, those of you who got the email, there was one lady I was talking to, I was about halfway down, and she said, what in the world are you doing? I said, we're giving away free hot dogs and water and popsicles. She goes, why are you doing that? And I said, well, we're just out here kind of just sharing um, the love of the Lord with other people. She goes, I know that's right, baby. <laughs> and we had this great talk afterwards. She goes, that's what we ought to be doing. And I, and I just like, yeah, come on, preach. Come preach at my church. I like that. Y'all need to say that. If you hear anything good, I know that's right, baby. Y'all just go ahead. Feel free. I heard, you know, Jason, when he preached for me a few weeks ago, what was it? That's right, Jason, or what, what did it? I heard it on the, on the tape, but I don't remember. It was something like, whack your chest twice. Say, that's right, Jason. Well, I want, that's right, baby. Um, that's what I want you to say to me. I know that's right, baby. Now, <laughs> here's the deal. Um, in, um, when you become a believer in Christ you have some family responsibilities. When you become a part of the family, you have some family responsibilities. A real believer will care about other believers. And a real believer will serve other believers. 
Because remember I told you when it says, dear brothers and sisters, James is writing this to Christians. And he's saying, you've got some stuff that you need to do to demonstrate your faith. And if you, uh, if you were to look at 1 John 3.17, John says, if anyone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, there it is, that's talking to Christians again, brothers or sisters in need. If you see a Christian in need and you refuse to help, how can God's love be in that person? Real faith is generous. It wants to give. And my question to you is, who can count on you in a crisis? Are there any believers who know that they can call you at any time of night if they have an emergency? Who is it that you are helping? Because in reality, I can't help everybody, but I can help somebody. Even Jesus didn't... He couldn't meet everybody's needs when He was here in the flesh. He could only be in one place at one time. So in reality, I, I, can, I can help somebody. I can't help everybody. The question is, who am I helping? Is your faith mattering to someone else? Or are you trying to help someone else? And so if you were to go a few verses earlier in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 14, it says one of the proofs that we are saved, one of the proofs that we're in the family of God is our love for other believers. Real faith wants to be around other believers. You love them. And Jesus said we demonstrate we're Christians by our love for Christians. So, you know, here's part of the deal. You can sit in the recliner, because recliner's where I sit. Kids, know that's Daddy's chair. Now, you can sit on Daddy in Daddy's chair, but you cannot sit in Daddy's chair, you know, and keep Daddy out of the chair. I don't have a problem snuggling, you know, but that's Daddy's chair. Mine's, a, yeah, Caleb's shaking his head. That's a rocker recliner. It's Daddy's chair. And I have a choice tonight. Tonight, I have a choice. It's, it's football. I love football season. College football, pro football. I love football season. And I have a choice. I can go sit in my recliner tonight. I can watch reruns of Friends. Or I can go to small group tonight and make friends. And that's not even a choice for me. Of course, I did get a card from my small group a couple weeks ago for my birthday. It said, you know, from the greatest small group ever. And I said, yeah, we are. Sorry, rest of you, you know, but ours is the greatest. We just, we love each other. We like being together. And just by the way, a little FYI here, if you don't like your small group, go to another one. It's okay. I mean, because in reality, not everybody's going to like everybody. Go to another group. Don't give up on group because yours stinks. And we, you know, as leaders, we know, we know people may not click with us. It's okay. We give you the freedom to go to another group. It's okay. We won't come. We may say some things under our breath, but we won't, we won't do anything to you. I'm kidding. I know that's right, baby. <laughs> Spoken from a true small group leader who doesn't want anyone to leave his group. I know that's right, baby. Um, <laughs> James 2.17, James says, Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It is dead and useless. If I don't like other Christians, if I don't want to help other Christians, I don't have a sick faith, I have a dead faith. I have a useless faith. James says, you want, to, you want real faith? It's more than something you say. It's more than something you just feel. And number three, it's more than just something you think. Now, I don't know how many times I've... Because I'm, I'm a debater. I love um, Christian apologetics. I love defending Christianity. 
And the first time I ever did a, a service, we did this thing called Student Impact, and, and I was going to defend Christ's resurrection from the dead. And I think I had about 24 reasons why you could believe Christ rose from the dead. And about three in, all these teenagers are sitting there. I think we had a couple of hundred teenagers there. I see this glaze coming over their face. And I'm like, in my mind, I was like, oh dear Jesus, i got to hurry up. So I'm just skipping pages because... They didn't care. Just give me one or two reasons. Don't give me 24 reasons. But there are some people that they'll, they'll throw up this intellectual... Now, if you have serious, legitimate questions, I don't have any problem with that. But some people, I've answered 9,000 questions about the Bible. And they still are like, I just don't know if I can believe that. And by then, I'm just like, dude, you're just throwing up a smoke screen. You, just, you don't want to give your life over to God. You have, a, you have an issue of control. You want to control. You don't want God to control. And I can't do anything about that. I'm not going to change your mind. You're, you're going to hurt enough someday because pain is universal. You're going to hurt enough someday that you're going to come to God and you're going to surrender. By the way, if, if you're not ready for, for Celebrate Recovery, you had not hurt enough. If, if you don't have time for Celebrate Recovery, then, then you haven't had enough pain in your life, and there will be enough pain eventually that you'll come to Celebrate Recovery. We'll see it. If not, you know, you'll, you'll, go, you'll turn your back on God and, and you'll, you'll die a, a lonely and, and a miserable death. I mean, I can predict that because um, God designed us to be with people. And God designed us in such a way that He takes all of the mistakes of your past, all the hurts of your past, and if you'll turn them over to Him in a group setting, it, I've never seen anyone celebrate recovery by themselves. You don't do that. It happens in a group because God designed us that way. All right, I'll get off of recovery. There's your, there's your, yeah, we just moved to Friday nights, by the way, and we had six new people Friday, so that was, that was awesome. Um, but some people want to debate, and, and James imagines this intellectual objector, all right? So we're, we're writing a paper here, and we're, we're thinking about the objections that are going to come up. Here's what James says in verse 18. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. And he's, he's imagining some intellectual guy going, well, you know, different strokes for different folks. Um, you have your works. I have my faith. Let's debate. Stimulate my mind, but don't you dare challenge me to get out of my comfort zone. Don't you expect me to commit to anything. I want you to stimulate my mind. Stimulate my thinking. That's what James is imagining. And then in, at the end of verse 18, he says, I say, I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds, but I will show you my faith through my deeds. James is saying real faith is visible. In other words, he adopted Missouri's state slogan about 1,700 years before Missouri existed. Sorry, Stan stands from Missouri. You remember what it is? It's the show me state. James is saying, don't just tell me you have faith. Show me you have faith, and then I'll believe what you're saying. Because faith is odorless, it's weightless, you can't touch it. So anyone can claim to have it. And have you heard people claim to have it and, and you're, you really wonder whether they have faith? Show me. If you claim to be a Christian, I have a right to ask you to prove it. If you were arrested today and the charge was being a Christian, would there be any evidence in a court of law to convict you? 
If the answer is no, then we've got a problem. I don't see how somebody as big as God could invade someone's life and he doesn't spill out. There's not change. If you are going to claim to be a follower of Christ, then there will be change. Real faith always produces change. It's not something you say. It's not something you feel. It's not something you think. It's not even, number four, something you just believe. Now, you've all heard this somewhere or another, James 19, uh, 2, 19 and 20. Do you still think it's enough just to believe that there is one God? <laughs> well, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. The, the, the whole meaning behind that tremble in terror is when, when the demons, when, when Satan and the demons think about God, the hair on the back of their neck stands up. I used to be into those horror movies. I used to watch them all the time back when I was stupid, you know. I'm, I'm very mature and wise now. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, but I used to be into those horror movies. I loved the latest thing. You know, I saw that there was a remake of Halloween. How can you remake Halloween? You know, I mean, that this some dude came out with it. But anyway, when, when, when the guy's about to jump out and, you know, the hair on your neck, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone's been in your house. I have. Freaked me out. That's what this passage says, that the demons feel when they think about God. They know He's real, and they shudder. They tremble, because they believe there is a God. But the demons and Satan will not be in heaven. The devil believes it. You know, the Bible tells us the fool has said in his heart there is no God. That means it's foolish to be an atheist, and the, the devil is no fool. He believes, and he trembles because there is a God more powerful than him. He wanted to be God. He was cast out of heaven. All the demons used to be angels that were cast out with him. He trembles, and his whole job description is, I want to ruin people's lives. Kill, steal, and destroy. That's his job description. I want to kill their marriages. I want to kill their families. I want to kill their future. I want to destroy people because he wants to drag as many people to hell as possible. And if you're already a Christian, what he wants to do is set you up so that he can make you fall. And the more public the fall, the better. The, the demons believe. And see, he's a great theologian. He knows theology backwards and forwards. He wants us to debate with Him. you remember what Jesus did when Jesus was tempted? He didn't debate. He just said, it is written. He just used God's Word. It is written. He didn't, he didn't debate. So don't debate Satan because he's been around. A lot of folks are going to miss heaven by about 18 inches, the distance from their head to their heart. they got a lot of head knowledge about God. I know people that can quote catechisms. I know people that can quote um, theology about the Trinity. I know people that have all of this head knowledge, but there's never been a change in their lives, and they're going to bust hell wide open. And they're going to be surprised. Jesus said, not everybody who calls me Lord is going to make it. Some aren't. Real faith is not just saying, I believe. Y'all have heard of um, Orange County, right? The OC. I never watched it. But I, I know it was about Orange County. and you know, There's all kinds. Isn't there another one now? O.C.'s son? I don't know. Um, I wouldn't be a good title maker for the new series. 
But Orange County, this was in the newspaper several years ago in Orange County. Many in Orange County believe but don't practice. That was the headline. They did a survey and they asked people all over Orange County, are you a follower of Christ? And the vast majority of them said yes. Same questions that we're asking this other survey. They ask them, uh, do you attend church? No. Do you donate, donate your time? No. Do you tithe? No. According to James, that's a phony faith. That is not a real faith, and it will not save you. So we've said four things, four principles from this passage, what real faith isn't. What is real faith? Number five, real faith is something you do. In the next couple of verses, James gives two illustrations that say real faith is something you do. And you've got to get this, because I want you to see the, the two examples he uses are complete opposites. And there's a reason he does that. He talks about Abraham and he talks about Rahab. Abraham is like the father of the Jewish nation when God used to talk to him. And if you read in the Old Testament, all the time it'll say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was the first one. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You talk to Jewish people today, they, they believe in the Old Testament. They'll still talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was a big deal. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. Okay, let's, let's look at, at these two stories and see how he uses them to talk about faith is something you do. Abraham's a somebody, Rahab's a nobody. Abraham's a major character in the Bible, Rahab is a minor character. And the reason he does this, co- two completely opposite people to, to make his point, is to show you. It doesn't matter what you do or what you've done in your past, God can use you today. He uses a man and a woman, complete opposites a prostitute, and I'm going to show you in just a minute what she did and how God blessed her for it. James 2, in verse 20. Fool! (laughs) Tell us what you really believe there, James. What are you thinking? Fool, when will you ever learn that faith that does not result in good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was declared right with God because of what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, he was trusting God so much that he was willing to do whatever God told him to do. His face, face, his faith was made complete by what he did, by his actions. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, so God declared him to be righteous. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are made right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. How do we know that Abraham believed? It's because he did something. Now, let me back up here because this is one of the most misunderstood passages in the Scripture. James is not talking about um, earning your salvation. You cannot earn your salvation. James is talking to Christians and he's saying you demonstrate your, your salvation by what you do. You demonstrate you're in, a fa- you're in the family of God by a changed lifestyle, by, by serving other believers. You do not earn salvation. You cannot earn salvation. All right? I, don't, I want to be real clear on that. There's nothing you can do. The Bible says we are all, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. All we can do is accept what God has already done for us. But he's saying, if you have really met Christ, it will be seen by how you act. Now, this story was the ultimate test. Abraham waited forever to have a kid. When he has a kid, God says, go and sacrifice him on this mountain. So Abraham goes and he ties his son up and he's going to sacrifice his son because Abraham believed that God could do anything. He even believed that God could raise his son from the dead if he needed to. 
And one of the most incredible things is that before he even walks up the mountain, he leaves all the servants there and he says, my son and I are going to go on this mountain and we're going to worship God and we will return. He'd already been told, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. He says, we, not I, we will return to you. So he goes up there and he's about to stab his son and God says, whoa, whoa, this was a test. And you have passed with flying colors. Provides a ram, provides a substitute, which is a picture of what Jesus Christ was going to do several thousand years later for you and me. Provide a substitute because we could not pay for our own sins. God provided a substitute. The blood was spilled. The boy was saved. And the nation of Israel was launched on this path of, of uh, faith in God. And God said, Abraham, you're the man. Because you don't just talk about believing me. You showed everyone. Here we are 4,000 years later talking about the faith of Abraham. Where does Rahab, a prostitute, come in? Well, in the next section, um, he talks about Rahab. And the, the thing about Rahab is the children of Israel, when they cross that, that Jordan River, when it was at flood stage, they come in. The first city that they're supposed to defeat is Jericho. They do it in a totally ludicrous military maneuver, walk around the city in silence, Six days, the seventh day, walk around with the trumpets blowing, and then when you hear the trumpets blow, you shout, Ha! And the walls fall down. That's a military strategy we should employ in Iraq, right? If God says so, yeah. But they do this, they win the battle. Okay, before all of this, Joshua sent some spies into Jericho, and Rahab protected them. She said, she said, Our hearts are melting with fear because we've heard about your God. We've heard how you destroyed the people on the other side. And she said, we've heard how God dried up the river so you could walk across. We've heard. So I believe in this God. And she protected these two spies so that they were not killed. And then, you know how God blessed her? Go to the New Testament in in the book of Matthew and start reading down and you'll see somewhere in Jesus' family tree, Rahab. What's the point? If you'll not just say you have faith, but you'll demonstrate you have faith, no matter what you've done in your past, God will bless you for it. It is what you do. It is not what you say. It doesn't matter how many times I tell my wife I love her if I never show her. Right? It is not the thought that counts. Now, our faith, I've said before, is not determined by what we do. It is demonstrated by what we do. So, I want to finish this intro to our series with a couple of questions for you today. In light of what James has to say, am I really a follower of Christ? Has there been change in my life? Because a lot of folks, you know, you'll say, tell me about about your, your walk with Christ or your, your life with Christ. And, and I've known people that have gone back 50 years. Well, 50 years ago, I was tight with Christ. Well, I don't care. Tell me where you are now. Because you could be an infant in Christ and you've just repeated that infant year for 50 years. If there's no growth, then I've got some serious questions about have you met Christ? Where are you? And, and what I want you to do is I want you to think about, am I in the family of God? It, has there been a change? And if not, I'm going to ask you to get out of your comfort zone today and I'm going to ask you, 
to pray and ask God to come into your life. And I'll show you how to do that in just a second. The reality is a lot of us here can go back and we can say, yeah, there was a time. And I tell people all the time, I was there when I said I do. I've got this ring and I wear it all the time. You're not kind of in the family of God. You're not kind of a believer. I'm not kind of married. I'm all the way married. <laughs> I know that's right, baby. <laughs> there, was a, there was a point. It was, it was May 25th, 1991, when I stood in First Baptist Church, Colleyville, Texas, and I looked at my wife and I said, I will give you my life. Put this ring on as a reminder to everybody that there is another half to me. Her name's Janie. You're not kind of saved. Either you are in the family of God because there's been a point where you said, God, I want a relationship with you, or you're not. It's that simple. You don't put a Bible under your pillow and by osmosis get adopted into the family of God. I know people who used to study that way. I don't think it worked well for their grades. It doesn't work well for salvation either. Well, how do you know for sure? Well, you've got to settle it in your mind. And some of you have had doubts. And I'm not trying to cast doubts, but I'm saying if you have doubts, here's, here's what you do. God says, I want to have a relationship with you. That's grace. God reaches down and says, I want to have a relationship with you. And you say to God, I want to have a relationship with you. And the point where God's grace, He reaches down and says, I want to have a relationship with you. And you reach up and say, God, I need a relationship with you. That's salvation. That point. And so have you said, God... I want a relationship with you. That's all you have to do. It is that simple. But that little thing is going to keep a lot of people out of heaven because there's pride or whatever. Or because they think because mama was a Christian, I'm a Christian. Or because I'm a member of this church, I'm a Christian. Mm -mm. It all is determined by have you given your life to Christ. If you are far from God, we're not asking you to make that whole jump. We're just asking you to take one step closer. And maybe, maybe the step is, I'll just come back next week. We will celebrate with you. And I believe the angels in heaven will celebrate as well. Because you're just going to come back. You're going to try it again. But a lot of you, if we were to be brutally honest today, would say, at least recently there hasn't been a whole lot of evidence that I'm a follower of Christ. And it's time I made some changes. So once you take your registration cards and I want you to fill out the front and we always have you write something on the back. On the back, if you've never given your life to Christ or if there's question in your mind about having a relationship with Him, all you have to do is just say, God, I want to know you. Write that on the back there because we're going to celebrate with you and, and I want to talk with you further about that. By the way, one of the things that we're going to do in a couple of weeks, um, we're going to have a 101 class, which is a membership class, and we're going to ask folks to move from non-membership to membership. If that's too fast for you, that's fine. We'll have another one. We're also going to have baptism. Uh, the last Sunday in September, we're going to have a baptism here. And some of you need to demonstrate your faith in Christ because that's an obedience thing. God says, you know, to be baptized. So we want to have a baptism, and, and if you need to be baptized, put that on your card, because we're going to do that in just a few weeks. But those of you who are already members of God's family, and the reality is you've turned your back on God, you've stepped away from God, here's what I want you to write. If this is your prayer, God, I want to know you more. 
I want to take one step towards you. I want to know you more than I have recently. And the really cool thing about God, and, and if you don't know that if there is a God and you just, I dare you to pray this prayer. God, if you're real, show me. That's the coolest prayer ever. Because there's going to be some stuff happen in your life that is either incredible coincidence or there is a God. <clears throat> Drew, put up those verses. For those of you who have doubts, 1 John 5, 11-13, some of my favorite verses in Scripture. This is what God told us. God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life, but whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Here's, here's what I tell people all the time um, that struggle with whether they're really a Christian. I write this letter to you who believe in the Son of God so you will... What is that next word? You will know you have eternal life. It is possible to know that you're in the family of God. How do you know? You have the Son. How do you know if you've had the Son? You ask Him to come into your life. God, I want to know you. And the Bible says at that moment you step across into the family of God and your eternity in heaven is secure forever. Now, you are saved by grace. Nothing you can do. But you are saved to do good works. God has a plan for you, and it is not an accident that you were here today. Not an accident. And you are not an accident either. Some of you are struggling with your life, meaning anything, mattering I'm, I'm looking at you today to tell you you matter to God. And how I know is 2,000 years ago He stretched out His arms and He died for you. He did not die in vain. He died to make your life worth something. And if you'll turn your life over to Him, you'll be one of those incredible stories where you say, I can't believe what God's done in my life. But you've got to make that step. Let's pray together.